In the Perspectrum podcast, we discuss controversial topics. Outside of this context, Michael and I are both working professionals. While doing this show, we are not acting as agents or representatives of our respective institutions. And none of the views that we express reflect the outlooks of our employers. So don't come to my office and throw toilet paper at me. And I don't have an office, but don't come to my cube. Welcome to the Perspectrum. I'm Nathan Seelov. And I'm Michael Bloom. And today we have a... Uh, this is deja vu. This is getting a little repetitive. Honestly. It is. It is. But it's... Stuff develops. News happens. This is what happens yeah. when you run a news podcast. You do a segment mm-hmm. on one thing, and then like time happens, and more mm-hmm. stuff happens, and you have gotcha. stuff to update about it. True. So we're going to be talking about the newly elected Speaker of the House... Uh, Mm -hmm. Mike Johnson, who probably has the second most generic name ever, (laughs) second to John Smith. (laughs) And then we're going to discuss some of the horrific new developments and uh, horrific updates involving the conflict between Israel and Palestine, which Mm -hmm. not looking forward to that one. Yeah, me neither. Hey, we can have fun with the first. Uh, eh, I don't know. Yeah, that was kind of depressing too. Yeah, that it was kind of depressing too. It was more fun to like point and laugh at Kevin McCarthy getting fired, but now yeah. that they've put someone in there, yeah, now that they've mm. replaced him with fucking Mephistopheles, like <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I don't. It's it's not as funny anymore. Yep. All right, you got us, GOP. Now, who's your real Speaker of the House? You tricked us. Good one. Yeah, yeah, but, but he like, seriously. He, like, seriously. pulls no. off his face like the end of Scooby-Doo, and up. Oh, it's, uh, I don't know, Bernie Sanders. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't It doesn't have to be a, uh, it doesn't have to be a rep, you know? That's Fuck true. It, it can it, be anybody. It. Yeah, it could be Bernie Sanders, theoretically. <laughs> Um, uh, but, it's, but not. it's not. It is. It is, very, <laughs> it is very far from Bernie Sanders. It yeah. is. Um, it is someone who uh, I'm pretty sure is a time traveler, mm-hmm. because the only thing that I think can explain his fucking backwards ass view of the world is if he was born in like the 1500s. Yep. Yeah. His his outlook on life and the world is really strange. So. The House of Representatives was without a speaker for like three weeks or so. And uh, to catch you up on our last episode on this topic, Kevin McCarthy got fired by his own party. Um, And then they had a hard time picking a speaker. There was no clear successor. Um, They had Steve Scalise, but he had some health issues and people, Republicans use that as an excuse to kind of disqualify him. Jim Jordan was too much of a nut job and too loud about it for this you know, group of people. And then, you know, a couple other people like threw their names into the ring, but ultimately like kind of out of nowhere, this guy named Mike Johnson was elected speaker, um, who most of us have never fucking heard of, which I think was the main thing in his favor uh, as he was, you know, getting to be elected speaker. I mean, he is basically Jim Jordan without the baggage and more homophobia. (laughs) Yeah, exa- yeah. It's 
it's it's it's a strange cocktail. It's actually exactly the right cocktail for this yeah. far right MAGA like portion his, of the extreme. His party. own colleagues didn't know him. Like yes. A reporter went up to Susan Collins, Senator Susan mm-hmm. Collins from Maine, which, you know, to be fair, she's a senator mm-hmm. and the, the Senate is very different from the House of Representatives. But like a, a reporter actually went up to her and she basically straight up said, like, I don't know, I need to Google him. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> like I've heard multiple House members, uh, granted Democrats, but multiple House members been like, I, I have no idea who this guy is, <laughs> which is I think it supports your time traveler thesis because yeah. it's like he... <laughs> He went back in time and like got you know wrote down all this stuff about Mike Johnson and then just yeah. showed up in the future and was like, I yep, yeah. I guess I'm elected. And it actually it actually explains the name too because if you were trying to fit in to mm-hmm. modern day society, I mean, you couldn't be you know Barnabas Blumpkin or whatever names <laughs> they had back in the 1500s. Like, ah, uh, yes, to... the inventor of the Blumpkin. <laughs> 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 Sorry, that makes him sound cooler than he is. Anyway, yeah, way um, <laughs> cooler, way cooler. Um, <laughs> no, you would you would have to pick something like okay, what is what is the most common fucking first name in the world? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mike. Okay, we'll go with that. What's the most <laughs> common fucking last name in the world? Johnson. Okay, let's go with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just I just love how representative. So I I heard one commentator make this joke, but I'm gonna steal it. Uh, I just love how like representative of the Republican white guy party, all of their potential people have been. <laughs> they had a Kevin, a Steve, a Jim, a Pete. Yeah. <laughs> and now a Mike. I mean, <laughs> I if they mm. if they if they threw a Chad in there, I'd I'd have a bingo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Gates is pretty much Chad. Yeah, um, true. true. <laughs> anyway, so on the 25th, they elected Mike Johnson. He is uh, a uh, House rep from the 4th Congressional District in Louisiana. Uh, He's been in the House since 2016, so surprising that no one knows who he is. Um, And yeah, he's actually, for for being pretty unknown, he's actually kind of somewhat of an important-ish guy. He's uh, the vice chair of the House Republican Conference uh, for the second time, or, you know, for for two terms. and as a member of a couple like uh, important committees, uh, including the House Judiciary Committee uh, and the House Armed Services Committee, and uh, he chaired in the House Judiciary Committee chaired the subcommittee of Constitution and Limited Government. If that tells you anything about his political leanings, yeah, I mean, yeah. obviously it tells us that he's a fucking hypocrite because he's another person that mm-hmm. preaches limited government while being extremely authoritarian. It's really quite remarkable how, yeah, that that doesn't seem to phase these people at all. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, um, yeah, like who this guy is now that he's uh, the Speaker of the House, second in line <laughs> to the presidency after Kamala Harris. One thing that makes no sense to me is that, so part of the reason why Jim Jordan was not palatable to a lot of mm-hmm. the more moderate Republicans, the ones that were in more purple districts was his role in trying to overturn democracy and, you know, destroy America. Um, yeah, but Johnson is just as guilty of that. Uh, seriously, actually, if not more, if if not more, so if not more insidiously guilty of that, Mm -hmm. uh, because one of the, one of the strategies that 
he actually helped spearhead in terms of trying to get the 2020 election uh, overturned was you all might remember us talking about this specific argument, which was that trying to trying to do a lawsuit against swing states that had changed their electoral procedures to account for the COVID pandemic in order to basically mm-hmm. throw the results of the elections within those states out, like mm-hmm. make them contested to the point yeah. where no one would get a majority. And mm-hmm. if, and if something like that were to happen, then what would happen is the house of representatives would basically hold a vote where the delegations from each state would get one vote for president and Republicans control more delegations than Democrats do, mm-hmm. which means that it would have, uh, it, it would have gone to Trump, yep. which would have overturned the election. Yeah. Like it's less, it's less of a let's fight against voter fraud strategy because mm-hmm. that's never going to fucking work. And it's more of a, here is an insidious strategy based on a loophole within a loophole outside of a loophole in yeah. order to make sure that democracy no longer matters. Yes, seriously. Yeah. The New York times in an article last year called Johnson quote, the most important architect of the electoral college objections for the January 6th uh, attempt to throw out the election. And I think, uh, so we'll, you know, there are a couple themes about Johnson that we'll call out. One is his anonymity, which I think works to his advantage. To your point, Nathan, uh, Jim Jordan played a significant role in Gen six. And that's the reason why, uh, he wasn't palatable to most of the members of the House, but because no one knows who this guy is and his was a little bit more complicated and it's just harder to convince people that a person that they've never heard of is bad, he gets to fly under the radar. So that's one theme. A second theme is what the other thing you called out, Nathan, which is this guy is smart. And that's bad. <laughs> um, so like, whereas... Uh, Kevin McCarthy was sleazy and Jim Jordan is a true believer loud fuckwad like Johnson is policy oriented true believer conservative who is a little bit boring and is like of the people who are considered for the speakership he actually has sponsored the most bills that have become law so he's like his success rate for sponsored bills is like six and a half percent which like just is an indicator that this dude who is a former attorney who's worked on constitutional law for a long time like that's his background is risks being really effective at implementing the horrible policies that he advocates for yeah and a huge aspect of his ideology is he is disgustingly horrifically anti-gay yeah, seriously. Um, and he has a long history of being disgustingly and horrifically anti-gay. Mm-hmm. Um, before he was a, a house rep, uh, he was a lawyer. And so he was a part of this conservative organization called the Alliance Defense Fund, which is a uh, socially conservative legal advocacy group. And they they actually eventually changed their name to the Alliance Defending Freedom. And they collaborated with this other organization called Exodus. Exodus was this organization that was founded in 1978, which was considered an international leader in the ex-gay movement. 
And one of its biggest pushes was the practice of cons- of conversion therapy, specifically Jesus. conversion therapy on children. And in fact, the group actually sh- actually shut down in 2013. And its original founder, its original founder actually posted a public apology for it. Hmm. For what his organization had caused, for quote the the pain and hurt that was caused by the organization, and this was after all of the fucking evidence came out about how gay conversion therapy is complete pseudoscience, mm-hmm. and the UN even classifies it as a version of torture. This motherfucker represented a group that represented defending these people's rights yeah. to torture children in court. Now, you might argue Mm -hmm. like, oh, well, but he's just I mean, he was just a lawyer defending them and everybody deserves to have a lawyer defending them. That doesn't necessarily mean he believes uh, he believes in that ideology, except (laughs) going back and reading some of the weird shit that he said about the gay community. It's just silly. Like, I shit you not. He blames homosexuality for the fall of the Roman Empire. (laughs) (laughs) in in 2008 he told a radio host quote some credit to the fall of rome to not only the the depredation of society and the loss of morals but also the rampant homosexual behavior that was condoned by the society Hmm. so i just like to point out a few things first off the roman empire lasted for a thousand fucking years (laughs) (laughs) which is a lot longer than the United States has lasted and a Mm. lot longer than most civilizations throughout history has ever lasted. And during the entire time, gay relationships were actually fairly common. Mm -hmm. And in fact, towards the end of the Roman empire was when they started to embrace Christianity and started being against things like homosexuality, like, like gay relationships. Mm. So it sounds to me like the loss of of gay relationships was actually responsible for it. Yeah. Or you know how maybe you maintain the... a really strong fighting force of virile men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. gotta love your brother. It's there. It's right there. <laughs> yeah. It was interestingly enough, around the time that uh that Roman Emperor Constantine uh embraced Christianity and converted on his deathbed. Mm-hmm. was around the time that the Roman Empire fell. Interesting. Wow. Interesting. It seems to me like it seems to me like that's that's what did it. So we or, think he's time traveled from the time of Rome <laughs> to collapse the United maybe. States with anti-LGBTQ. Maybe I think rhetoric. that's it. I think that's Could it. Be it. Could or be maybe it. it was the fact that the Roman Empire empire just kind of kept pissing off a bunch of Germanic tribes by trying to take their land and the Germanic tribes were like, "You know what? Fuck you. We're going to go fuck you all up." Maybe that was it. If Maybe you guys don't know this... about Nathan's high horse about Germanic tribes and the power of the Celts <laughs> and stuff like that, like this is hill he will die on. <laughs> You're goddamn right. <laughs> okay, and on, yeah. And on top of that, on top of that, there was also a slew of really terrible Roman emperors that were like corrupt and horrible and authoritarian, mm-hmm. which, you know, another lesson that apparently Mike Johnson can't learn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, his his LGBTQ record is really horrible. Um, like 
in 2022, he uh, authored legislation which has been dubbed the federal version of Florida's like "Don't Say Gay" bill, which uh, prohibits the use of federal funds to develop, implement, facilitate, or fund any sexual sexuality-oriented program, event, or literature for children under the age of 10. So that means that like you can't teach them about gender-affirming care, LGBTQ people, or so. So it has all of the like weaknesses of the "Don't Say Gay" bill in that it like as the potential to chill our ability to just allow LGBTQ people to live and work and be themselves in society. Um, Johnson also co-sponsored legislation with uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, excuse me, Marjorie Taylor Jewish Space Lasers Greene, called uh, the Protect Children's Innocence Act, which would make it a crime to provide gender-affirming care to people under the age of 18. And if you're curious about that, we've talked about that on a few different episodes uh, you should be saving people's lives by providing gender-affirming care to those who need it. That's just pretty clearly the case. Um, he's also written uh, calling homosexuality inherently unnatural. He said, quote, Your race, creed, and sex are what you are, while homosexuality and cross-dressing are things you do. This is a free cr- country, but you don't have special protections for every person's bizarre choices, uh, is his uh, perspective. Um, he also defended uh, Louisiana's same-sex marriage ban before the Supreme Court in 2004 and 2014. Um, so this dude has a pretty long history, like a two decades long history of public action um, against the LGBT community. Look, this, yeah. is, this is who the Republican Party still is. Now, I do mm-hmm. want to be very clear. That doesn't mean that all Republican voters are like this. Sure. Um, And in fact, a lot of polls that I've seen recently have actually shown that a majority of Republican voters Mm -hmm. actually do support same sex marriage. So I I just I just want to be clear when I say the Republican Party, I'm referring to elected Republicans. I'm not referring to like Republican voters. But this is this is who the Republican Party is. Mm -hmm. And I just just want to make it clear that if you're still supporting elected Republicans like you are still supporting bigots. You are mm-hmm. still supporting out and out bigots. Yeah. That are, you know, that are fighting actively to try to take rights away from people while at the same time taking tons of money from corporations in order to give them uh in order to to give them an easier time. Mhm. Yeah, which Mike's record is also terrible on that front, on the corporate <laughs> corruption. <laughs> I'm shocked. Don't shocked. I know. I know. You must be really shocked. Um, no, it's, so, it's, it's interesting because he actually, he was asked in an interview like about his ideology. And one of the things mm-hmm. he said was, well, the best thing that you can do to figure out what to, to learn about my ideology is to open up a Bible. Yeah. To which yep. um, I, uh, Colbert actually did a segment about that. And he made a point that I'm going to reiterate, which is basically that, okay, but the Bible talks about feeding the poor and, you know, taking money from the rich to give it to the poor. Are you for that? Is he for that, Michael? (laughs) Um, If what you mean by taking money from the rich is that you get paid by rich people and corporations, then yeah, (laughs) I guess that's right. (laughs) God damn it. He... (laughs) <laughs> like it's like he read the first paragraph and was like, 
take money from the rich. Perfect. Got it. Yeah. I'm on it. <laughs> no problemo. <laughs> yeah, so he is a science skeptic, or uh, yeah, well, science skeptic for sure, but also a climate science skeptic. Um, and he has uh, accepted more campaign contributions in his congressional career from oil and gas industry than any other industries and has repeatedly downplayed the climate that climate change is an issue which again is another one of those issues that's like dude we all agree this is a losing issue like like polls continually show that people think that the climate crisis is a crisis and yet he's yeah. just still holding on to these absolutely like absurd 90s republican extremist talking points i mean hell anti-climate change is not even 90s republican that, that's like, true like, yeah. even back then, a lot of 90s Republicans were, you know, I mean, hell, John McCain was like, ran on a platform of, you know, trying to do something about climate change. Uh, John McCain, our old progressive <laughs> <laughs> friend. Yeah. Um, he also thinks that mass shootings are caused by teaching evolution, which is oh strange. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. So apparently, yeah, why, apparently he's. Yeah, so he's why trying don't to draw... they happen? Why, why don't why don't they happen literally anywhere else that teaches evolution? Oh, Nathan, that's a very good point. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, like France is secular to I, I would actually say secular to a fault in some ways, mm-hmm. um, and I mean that as like a they're so secular that they do sometimes violate religious freedom, and I'm not cool with that. But like they don't have mass shootings, so mm. if the argument is, you know, take mm-hmm. God out of schools and that leads to mass shootings, then why haven't those happened in France or other countries that do have think, very secular governments and approaches I think to education? made an argument that takes uh, evolution leading to mass shootings too seriously. <laughs> but but uh, this guy's good, the fucking speaker, I which know. means that unfortunately yeah. the shit that he says we have to take seriously and actually analyze it and actually argue against it it's because so he true. has actual power. He is yep. second in line to be the fucking president of the United States. Yes. It's fucking crazy. So he's a big he's also a big advocate for uh not just, you know, limitations of LGBTQ marriages, but also all marriages. So he's a big advocate for something called covenant marriage, um, which I thought was like a myth. Kind of, um, but apparently it's becoming a, this like talking point in the conservative right, which is basically where um, you eliminate no-fault divorce from a marriage. So there are certain states that have specific uh, marriage types called covenant marriages, and they don't allow for no-fault divorce to end the marriage. You have to um, <clears throat> have like fault involved. So it makes it you know harder for people to escape domestic abuse situations and also for yeah people you know to what, live happy good lives that they like so fuck you know that what guy. happened when no fault divorces became uniform throughout the country hmm. spousal murder rates plummeted mm-hmm. that's what happened yeah like <laughs> jesus yeah it's uh, crazy on top of that he has in the actual halls of the House of Representatives, he has openly argued against the idea that the founding fathers in any way believed in a separation of church and state. They in wrote the context it down. Of 
They wrote it down. <laughs> he said, like, his argument, and it's this talking point that we've seen a lot, and I just want to go ahead and put this to rest for a second. He he says that, like, oh, yeah, when, when Thomas Jefferson talked about a wall of separation between church and state, that was a one-way wall. Because uh, you know, Michael, you know how one-way walls work. You know, when yeah, you put yeah, up a course. wall, yeah. like, there's this magical... Uh, there's this magical generator that you put on it that sure. if you go one way, you can just walk right through it. But if you try to mm-hmm. go the other way, then just boom, because that's how walls work. Yeah, totally. He was they 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 imagined these phasing walls back, and we have this extensive historical re- record of the nine or the 1770s when they were imagining these walls where you could just walk through one way but not the other, like uh, yeah. revolving doors, which weren't invented invented until like the 1800s or. <laughs> yeah. But like his argument is, yeah, Thomas Jefferson wasn't saying that you couldn't bring your religion into the government. It's just that the government couldn't impose on your religion, which, again, that that argument falls apart on its face because the moment your religion is in the government by necessity, that religion, if it is being used to make laws, is violating the religious freedom of other people that do not follow your religion. And on top of that. Let's see what Thomas Jefferson actually said. All right, let's let's look at some actual clarifications. In a letter from Thomas Jefferson to Jeremiah Moore in eighteen uh, in in eighteen hundred, he said, "Quote: The clergy, by getting themselves established by law, engrafted into the machine of government, have been a very formidable engine against the civil and religious rights of man." Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry, bro. Yes, when Thomas <laughs> Jefferson said separation of church and state, he meant separation of church and state. Yeah, he dude. meant that your religion, your religious values do not get to impose on the laws of everybody. That's yeah. what he meant. He clarified that a thousand times. It's not just one letter that he wrote. He like it took me yeah. 2 minutes to find this. Also, it's right in the fucking text of the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. He's right about the prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Yeah, sure. But it's not like they said Congress shall not establish a religion. It's not like they said Congress shall not uh, make, make an official religion. No, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. Like, they're not even allowed to make laws that, like, broach the, that are adjacent to the establishment of religion. This is a this could not be a clearer like solid wall between religion and government. Yeah, and this guy, this this guy who is now second in line to be the president of the United States mm-hmm. is too conservative for Thomas Jefferson. Yep. Yeah, dude, this is this is bad. Yeah, he has a uh spotless voting history of voting against uh uh, any kind of uh, protection or legalization of abortion. He's earned a A-plus rating from the Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America uh, organization. Um, yeah, and he has fought to shut down abortion clinics in Louisiana when he was uh, when he was located there. And yeah, overall, he's uh, achieved in- some incredible results, honestly. A 92% rating from the American Conservative Union and a 90% rating from the Heritage Action uh, uh, which is a you know an activist group uh for conservative values. So pretty amazing. He's got like A minus uh grades from these incredibly conservative organizations. He's a real fucking crusader. Yeah, basically, yeah. the best we can hope from this guy is that he will be ineffective. Yeah, that's my worry. So like, 
that's the best we can hope, but like that's not his track record. His track record is somewhat effective. And like he like I think this is this is something inter- like I think this is interestingly illustrative. So he was uh he voted along with uh lawmakers to discourage uh the state's law enforcement and government agencies from working with the Council on American Islamic Relations, which is a, a Muslim civil rights organization. And uh, he said that the effort wasn't aimed against, quote, people who believe in the Islamic faith, but simply was about opposing terrorism. All of us here are opposing t- are opposed to terrorism, he said. Uh, that's the, all this is about. It's like that smile to your face and then stab you in the back perspective that is like along with his record of kind of being effective that makes me particularly worried about this guy. He seems like he's not he's not Marjorie Taylor Greene. He's not Matt Gates. He's not Jim Jordan. He's not fucking these crazy above the radar loud people that will like that are there to rail and yell and and like try to start a movement. He's there to fucking change the laws. Yeah. He is their ideology, Mm -hmm. but with a polite smile. And now it's time for a more lighthearted segment. Tips for good. So, Nathan, why do we do tips for good every week? Well, Michael, I'm so glad you asked me. Hmm. Because we do tips for good every week because, dude... I totally miss you. Mm. I really fucking miss you. I'm all alone all the time, mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. Dude, I totally miss you. The things we did together, where have you gone? I totally miss the honesty and special times. And honestly, I totally miss the fucked up things you do. Mm. Chills. Absolute mm. chills. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dudes missing dudes. That's yeah. that makes the world a better place. It does make and, the world a better Romans place. And the Romans knew that. The Romans <laughs> <laughs> The Romans knew that. Absolutely. That's the key to strong armies is, is dudes yeah. missing dudes. I yeah. Agree. Oh hell. Like shit. Making the world a better place. That's also why we do tips for good. Oh my god, of course. Yeah. Oh, just like the Romans. Yeah. Just like I, eh, eh. <laughs> aqueducts. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll grab the aqueducts. <laughs> we should just skip straight to making the world a better place. I think we should that's do what that. We should do, we should yeah. do that. So, yeah. so, so, Michael, what, what is what is our tip for good this week? Well, our tip for good this week is to prepare for the end of daylight savings time. So, um, on you know the transition from Saturday to Sunday, November fifth, daylight savings time will end which means that your clocks will go backwards one hour, which means you will get an extra hour of sleep that night. Um, but it can really fuck with your sleep schedule if you are not uh, prepared for it, especially if you have like insomnia or other like sleep-related issues. Um, so, you know, do things like going to bed uh, 10 or 15 minutes later uh, each night, the few nights before daylight savings time. Uh, try not to just like, you know, like just take the hour of extra sleep necessarily because according to some studies I was reading on uh, AARP.com because these are the people that write about these kinds of things. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
I don't know why, but that's so funny. <laughs> well, yeah, they're they're out here looking out for what really yeah. matters, that extra 15 minutes of sleep. Yeah, but apparently um, just like sleeping the extra hour over the following days can actually lead to worse sleep and therefore less sleep overall in uh, in like the week of the transition. Um, so yeah, try to like slowly adjust your, your bedtime, try to get exercise. So you're, you can kind of, uh, absorb your body can absorb like the extra energy from that, uh, extra time period. Um, and make, and make sure you're, you know, consistently going to bed and waking up at roughly the same time each day, you know, just, uh, you know, practice good sleep hygiene, block out light, especially cause the sun will be coming up earlier. Um, and yeah, and overall, you know, don't worry too much about it, but, uh, prepared for the extra sleep and uh and also welcome and also uh a reminder that you're going to gain an hour Mm -hmm. not lose an hour and the reason why i want to emphasize that um and i'm going to call out my dad here um so so dad if you're listening Mm -hmm. you know i love you but this was hilarious um my dad actually to start preparing um he started getting up an hour earlier Hmm. and he just started doing it my mother like my you know my dad like my dad's the type of person that is extremely confident in everything he does so mom (laughs) my mother just kind of assumed that like oh yeah that's that's right that's that's that that's how it is that's 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 what happens Mm -hmm. and what was funny was it took him a a day of like waking up at like three o'clock yes he normally wakes up at four oh my Um, god yeah i know which three o'clock is like a half an hour after I go to bed on a normal day. <laughs> <laughs> wow. um, like before he realized, Oh wait, wrong way. Oh no. And my mother told me about it and I was proud of myself. Cause I immediately, cause when she said that, when she said like, yeah, so we started going to bed earlier. I was like, Oh, and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> and she's like, Oh, you picked up on that. Yeah. I didn't. <laughs> Cause he was so fucking confident. In it. That is so funny. So anyway, don't make that mistake. Yeah. Don't make, don't make that mistake. Um, <laughs> love you, dad. Sorry, Mr. C love. <laughs> and that's tips for good. All right. So now we turn to, Focusing on the conflict in Israel and Gaza, um, which is going to be another week of a pretty heavy topic. Yeah. So a few things to to call out, you know, at this point. Like one thing I did want to mention right at the top is that like Israel continues to be under somewhat of a threat from rocket attacks from Hamas and other uh, militant organizations, including. Um, you know, some some surface-to-air and surface-to-surface missiles being launched from Lebanon. Um, and, you know, Israel is, a, you know, is in a very defensive posture uh, and somewhat offensive posture as they respond to uh, some of those continued ongoing threats. Um, and I think, like, it's tempting to, I think, like, lose track of that, uh, yeah. as we think about all of the suffering that is happening in Gaza um, as a result of uh, Israel's attacks on, on the region. But from Israel's perspective, this is a war against Hamas. And I think that, I mean, that's true. And 
Israel is responding to an overt act of war from a terrorist organization. And so like our ongoing coverage of this issue is again, not about Israel's existence. It's not about Israel defending itself. It is not about like Israel eradicating a violent terrorist organization. Like these are all things that as a nation are like, our official position is supporting and these are things that we should be supporting. Yeah. Our like coverage here is all about how, how this war is being waged. Yeah. And And we also, yeah. And we also absolutely need to acknowledge, and we did this, we did this the last time we talked about this, but I think that we need to acknowledge this each time we discuss this, because I don't want any words that we use to be used to justify, um, horrific actions against, Yeah. An entire community. Seriously. Like, I, I, I want to make it very clear that instances around the world of hate crimes towards the Jewish community have, they, they do increase during these times of conflict. Mm-hmm. And that is not okay. Yeah. Every single Jewish person who is, who is an innocent civilian uh, in this conflict deserves safety. And yeah. deserves security, whether whether they live in Israel mm-hmm. or whether they live in the United States. Yeah. And to the extent that there is anybody in the United States or or around the world that is using this as a chance to spread anti-Semitic sentiment mm-hmm. or to commit hate crimes against the Jewish community, that must be strongly condemned. Totally. That has to be strongly condemned. Yeah. Um, and I think that any commentary surrounding this conflict does need to include that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I've been so fucking disgusted by the anti-Semitic uh, rhetoric and attacks, as well as the Islamic phobic rhetoric and attacks, and uh, like all of the fucking racist vitriol that has been flying around as like as as the well-intentioned people discuss how to resolve an incredibly sensitive and challenging political and uh security issue in the Middle East like a bunch of fucking racists are taking the opportunity to hurl insults and attacks at yeah. innocent people it is yeah. fucking despicable and the worst kind of cynical and is fucking horrible. Yeah. Fuck all those people. Yeah. So I want to make it clear that our critiques in this segment are not against the Jewish people. No. Or no even way. against the civilians of Israel. Mm-hmm. They are against the Israeli government. All right. They are against the Israeli government that is carrying out a bombing campaign against innocent civilians, yeah. which they're, I I know I pointed this out last time. I just I just want to reiterate this. Um, by their own admission, their own admission, the Israeli defense spokesperson uh, Daniel Hagri specifically said that the emphasis quote the emphasis is on damage and not accuracy. Mm-hmm. Again, the emphasis is on damage and not accuracy. They're openly. They're openly saying that they don't give a fuck about how many civilians they kill 
They don't give a fuck about the people that they displace, about the lives they destroyed, the civilians that they are killing. They've openly said that. All right. The Israeli government has openly said that. And the thing is, there is a word for when you purposely target civilians as an act of warfare. That word is terrorism. When Hamas carried out their attacks, their initial attacks that killed 1,400 people, that was an act of terrorism, and it was disgusting, it was despicable, and fuck anybody that justifies it. But this response, so far, the, the most recent numbers, the most recent numbers are that at least 8,800 Palestinians have been killed in these attacks. We are almost up to 10,000 deaths. And that is, that is according to the, uh, to the Gaza Health Ministry. Now, let's talk about that number for a sec. Let's talk about the Gaza Health Ministry for a second. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because there are a lot of people that will hear that the numbers from the Gaza Health Ministry and be like, well, hold on. Hamas controls, is, is the governing body within Gaza. Mm -hmm. And... The, uh, the Gaza Health Ministry is a part of the government. Yeah. So doesn't that mean that these numbers are coming from Hamas, and doesn't that mean that we can't trust them? Yeah, and in the past, Israeli officials, while they haven't said anything about these reported numbers, in the past they have said that the, you know, the Hamas-run ministry uh, reports civilian deaths as, quote, propaganda. So it's worth asking that question about the credibility of um, the casualty reports that we're seeing. Yeah. So the best way I would say is to look at how they've reported on past conflicts. Mm -hmm. All right. And when we look at past conflicts, past major escalations, we actually do find pretty consistently that their numbers do end up matching up with the official numbers reported after the fact. So in the 2008 war, the ministry reported 1,440 Palestinians killed and the UN uh, at, at the end of it, reported 1385. Mm. So very close. In the 2014 war, uh, that would have been uh, Operation Protective Edge. The ministry reported 2,310. The UN reported 2,251. And then in the 2001 war that I remember we talked about, mm -hmm. the ministry reported 260. The UN reported 256. So the ministry actually does have a good track record of getting the number accurate. Mm -hmm. Now, that being said, it should also be pointed out the fact that this is a much more complicated situation because there is so much more bombing. This is yeah. the most yeah. aggressive bombing campaign that, has, uh, that Israel has ever carried out. Mm -hmm. um, and there are some officials within the Gaza Health Ministry that have actually said, yeah, we're having trouble sometimes with figuring out these numbers, there's so many disembodied limbs as a result of these bombs that sometimes it's hard to figure out which limbs go with which body. Yeah. So yeah, it is a bit of a struggle because of that. But whether or not that is a perfectly to the, to the person accurate number, mm -hmm. it is a reasonably close estimation based on their previous track yeah. record and it does not it does not 
undermine the fact that there is a humanitarian crisis that is happening in Palestine, that is happening in Gaza, as a direct result of an indiscriminate, by their own admission, yeah, an indiscriminate bombing campaign against civilians. Yes, yeah. Yeah, of those, like, 8,800, 8, 8, we're talking about over 3,500 who are children. Yeah. Which, like, like according to the humanitarian group Save the Children, um, this exceeds the total number of children killed across the world's conflict zones each year since 2019. So in just, like, three weeks, more children have been killed in, in, in Gaza than, like, annually since 2019. Yeah. On, like, uh, yeah, according to the United Nations Children's Fund, right? So this is the UN. 420 children are being killed or injured in Gaza every single day. And as we yeah. said last week, or last time we covered this topic, kids can't be terrorists. Yeah. And 50% of the people in Gaza are children under the age of 15. Mm-hmm. You can't just launch bombs in a heavily crowded area like Gaza mm-hmm. and expect that children aren't going to die. Yeah. And this kind of goes back to something that we said last week when we were talking about when we were talking about Alan Dershowitz's comment, mm-hmm. which is you know the question of is there a moral like what is the moral equivalency between directly targeting children for the sake of killing children and making a decision that you know is going to result in the death of children and and making it anyway. Yeah. And the thing is, I don't really see much of a moral difference there because mm-hmm. you are knowingly making a you are knowingly making a decision that will result in the killing of children. Yeah. And they're and again, they're even saying, I cannot emphasize this enough, they're even saying they're not prioritizing accuracy. Mm-hmm. All right? Because these these officials, these government officials do not view the people of Gaza as people. They don't view the children of Gaza as children. Yeah. They view them as terrorists. Yeah. One Israeli Defense Force uh, spokesman, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Conriquez, uh, was describing a recent uh, military success by their, by their measure, which was the the uh, the bombing of a densely populated refugee camp called Jabalia in northern Gaza, um, which, like they, you know, it happened just yesterday, so they don't have the number of people that have been killed yet. But what witness reports describe catastrophic damage, just like uh, people just lining up bodies in covered in sheets on the road. One Al Jazeera employee lost 19, 19 family members. And they were descri- like, like this lieutenant colonel was seemed to be describing this as like a success. He was he be, he basically said um that according to the statement, that uh they were targeting, the airstrike was targeting, was targeting uh Ibrahim Bayari, who they killed. And was described as one of Hamas's commanders, uh, who was responsible for the uh, attack on Israel on October seventh, the terrorist attack. Which is, it's great that he's killed. Um, and the operation, 
uh, was also intended to take down the underground tunnels which had been formed underneath uh, the refugee camp. Um, and apparently they also took out dozens of Hamas combatants who were also in, potentially involved with the terror attack and were, um, and were like killed and crushed beneath the tunnels. The thing is, though, that he specifically said that the IDF had considered all factors when making the, dis- the decision to make the strike, quote, including the possibilities of non-combatants being affected. Yeah. We're talking actually, about bombing a dense residential area where, yes, there are Hamas, like, fighters. There are, like, there are Hamas military operations, but you're just acknowledging that there's also tons of people who they haven't, like, they don't even know the number that they've killed yet, but yeah. it was worth it. And there has actually been an update on the numbers at that at this point for that. Um, and by the way, this wasn't just one. This 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 camp was hit twice in two days, mm-hmm. and so far the official death count is a hundred and ninety five, and a hundred and twenty are still missing. Mm. So that so that number could be significantly higher. I'm sorry, you're not the good guy if you do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, if if a terrorist or hell, if a group of terrorists, if if 10 terrorists, if 10 terrorists in the United States, right, a group of 10 terrorists in the United States took over a shopping mall, you know, they took over a shopping mall and had like uh, 100, 100 hostages and the United States government just blew up the entire shopping mall. Yeah. Would you be okay with that? Yeah. Would you actually be okay with that? Would you seriously be okay with that? If the answer is yes, then what the actual fuck? If the answer is no, then you shouldn't be okay with that in this situation either. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. The bombings are also making an incredibly difficult and dangerous humanitarian situation as well, especially in hospitals, which are which are like receiving bombings like all around the hospitals. So according to the United uh, the UN Palestine Refuge Refugee Agency, quote, all 13 hospitals uh, that are located in northern Gaza are still operational in these areas, have received repeated Israeli evacuation orders in recent days. Um, and they added that, that uh, medical staff and patients include 117,000 people that are in these hospitals. And so they continue to, like, order these evacuations of these facilities but there's like nowhere to go and yet they're dropping bombs within like 200 feet sometimes of these hospitals which are just packed floor to ceiling with people taking refuge and with patients A, a un humanitarian coordinator said quote for people who can't evacuate because they have nowhere to go or are unable to move Advanced warnings make no difference, which goes back to something we we talked about a couple of weeks ago, which is like Israel has been, you know, and they provided in the refugee camp that they bombed as well, like notified people to evacuate and leave prior to these bombings. But there's nowhere to go. It's one of the most densely placed, like populated places on Earth. People don't have food, water, fuel or any place to stay or any shelter like there's, they literally just have nowhere to go to even protect themselves. And so you see people just 
you see whole families and generations, like multiple generations of families just getting totally wiped out. These one one Palestinian American family uh, that I was reading about lost has lost forty two members of their family. It wiped out three generations. Yeah. And so far, uh, I saw that um, I read that thirty journalists have been killed. Mm-hmm. Like journalists that are trying to cover this. Mm-hmm. I mean, and what is the United States doing? Yeah. Like, so far, t- today was the first time I heard uh, Bernie Sanders, who, by the way, Bernie Sanders should be the person who we already know is is on the right side of this. Yeah. But, like, he had been just disappointingly silent on this and today he finally did a he finally did a speech in the senate mm-hmm. where he talked about um the need for humanitarian aid he talked about the indiscriminate bombings he condemned the israeli government for that and mm-hmm. he also talked about something that we talked about previously which i was actually i was impressed that he brought up which is the fact that uh in many ways the tensions that drove this conflict were the conditions within uh, Palestine to begin with. The fact that Israel treats Palestinians like second-class citizens uh, within the country, that Gaza is basically an open-air prison, that settlers are bulldozing homes and driving people from their land in the West Bank— that stuff like that actually led to these tensions. And he was, you know, pointing out like even before what happened, things were not okay. It was a humanitarian crisis. And it was like, this is the, this is the first time I've heard someone talk about this. And it was the first time he actually, like, I, I actually heard someone call specifically for an end to the bombings, not just a pause, but an end to the bombings. Mm-hmm. But it's like almost 10,000 people had to die for Bernie Sanders to say that. Yeah. Like, Jesus Christ, how many, for the rest of the government, how many people is it going to take? Are they never going to? Like, what, I would ask every single senator, what is your number? All right? How many Palestinians are going to have to die in this for you to care? For you to say, no more, no more weapons to Israel until they, until they promise to stop bombing, until they end Mm -hmm. this. All right? No more aid to Israel unless they end this carnage. Like how many, how many is it going to take? Cause apparently 10,000, it's not 10,000. All right. Is it 20,000? Is it 30,000? Like what level of a genocide needs to happen for you to give a shit? And then the Biden administration, God, they, they were asked there. He, he was asked directly about the numbers from the ministry. And he basically said that, you know, well, you know, we don't know if those numbers are actually accurate. But what's fucked up about that is that his own administration is actually using the numbers from the Israeli health ministry in their own internal situation reports. Reports. Hmm. The HuffPost actually reviewed uh, 20 State Department situation reports and found that they were actually using the numbers internally from the uh, from the Gaza health ministry. Mm. So he knows that those numbers are probably accurate. He yeah. knows that. Yeah. And meanwhile, one of the first things 
that uh, Mike Johnson is trying to do as speaker is he's actually trying to. So 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 right now, uh, Joe Biden is calling for a package, a spending package in aid to Israel, to uh, Ukraine, to Taiwan, and also for extra border security. And Mike Johnson proposed a package that is just Israel support, that is just money for Israel, and attached to it is uh, reducing funding by about $40 billion to the IRS. He's fucking using this conflict to defund the IRS. That is the first thing that he's doing as the speaker. Trying to use this carnage in his stupid fucking mission to defund the IRS so that rich people are less like that rich people don't have to deal with their enforcement. Yeah. That is what he's doing. Yeah. And you know, Biden's already said he's going to veto it, but I just, I, <laughs> I mean, at no, like the fact that that is what the conversation is that we're having like, that is the level of conversation we're having. There's no suggestions of, hey, maybe we should withhold this until they stop bombing civilians, until they stop using our bombs that are paid for by our taxpayer money to go bomb children in Gaza. That's not even a part of this that conversation, because that's not what Washington cares about. That's not what these people care about. It's fucking disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, relief aid... For the people of Gaza has finally started to flow in, but at a fraction of what is necessary to relieve their, like, their humanitarian crisis. And it includes food and water, but it doesn't include any fuel, which means that hospitals who have said that they're dangerously low on fuel, like at the absolute end of the road, will not be able to operate pretty soon. Like, the United Nations has said that uh, there are, there's clear evidence of war crimes committed by both Hamas and the Israeli military since October 7th. And that's pretty fucking obvious. And to Nathan's point, we're just, just picking a side and helping with the war crimes. And now we'll end our episode because it is not really possible or in good taste to make jokes after a segment that. like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we will be taking a moment of silence for the fucking all the fucking suffering right now in Israel and Gaza. So thank you to the amazing people that make the show possible. Um, we really couldn't do it without all of you. And I think this is good work. I think this is important work. So thanks for helping us do it. So thanks to Jerry DeViller, Fade Out Scoop, Kyle Chaska, Taylor Bloom, and Tobias Janssen. Thank you to Kayla for editing our show and making it possible. And thank you for listening. And you'll hear from us again next week. <laughs>